Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And now we have an intermission with beatboxing. Adam Sane and it's your co-host Loki and we got Bobby back in the studio tonight Bobby back on the set so did did it take too long getting ready today to lose any uh oh no man he was he was immediately ready did it lose the the driver's license in the dryer or anything Uh, I just I've been working a lot of hours he was actually pushing me out the door oh awesome good so we have on the line uh, one of our favorite guests that uh, is returning for a fourth time. He is now tied with uh, Micah Hanks for the honor of being on for four times on Conspiracy Normal. And that is the only, the wrong Reverend Houdini Kundalini of the Church of Unwavering Indifference himself, Adam Go Rightly. <laughs> Adam, welcome back to Conspiracy Normal. Hey, thanks for having me on this special uh, birthday edition. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, my, it's my birthday. Yeah, I noticed that on uh, Facebook. 
We're getting wild after the podcast. <laughs> and we uh, thought we'd just have like one of our favorite guests on. Got a ton of time to just right. <laughs> are there are there grapes in the salad? <laughs> That that story, Adam. Uh, he Luke. I think our first show that we did with you, what Luke's referring to there, the grapes and the salad. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you you needed to take a break, and I think your wife brought you some food or something, and you had had like a. I think you were eating like a salad or something, and Luke overheard you as I was in the bathroom say something like. <laughs> Are there grapes in the salad? <laughs> and Luke just Luke since then has always just kind of thought that was really funny. He, every time I talk about you, he'll be like, "Are there grapes in the salad?" <laughs> All righty. <But>, uh, <laughs> what I wanted to talk about, and what uh, we're going to talk about tonight, is about discordianism. And you have a new book out called Historia Discordia which is kind of a play on the Principia Discordia. And Bobby's looking at me like, you have no idea what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> like Luke barely okay. knows. I can yeah. hear you now. I, I, looked it up, <laughs> I, hey, I looked it up on Wikipedia, and Adam Goratley's name was on the article. So. There you go. Uh, so what I want to, because you have that book out, then you have another book that's coming out here in a couple of months, I think, about Carrie Thornley. Uh and his involvement with like the JFK assassination or possible involvement and uh, the Jim Garrison case. And we'll cover that a little later. But uh, this is, uh, I want to start talking about discordianism. And especially for our audience and uh, Bobby here, who's like totally lost. Uh, what is discordianism? And is it a real religion, or is it kind of just like a massive joke? For the fourth time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a fake religion, and it's a real religion. <laughs> it's whatever you want it to be, which is kind of a uh, vague answer. But uh, uh, shall I give you the background? That'll make it uh, make a little more sense to you, perhaps. Right. How it all started way back when, the late 50s, <clears throat> before even I was born, uh, these two characters, and they were a couple characters indeed, but um, uh, one person termed uh, Carrie Thornley a free-thinking nerd. So these these couple interesting characters in the late uh, 50s, Greg Hill and Carrie Thornley, they knew each other in high school, and they were interested in a lot of odd stuff, you know, like they used to go on outings to, uh, for instance, uh, flying saucer group out there called Understanding in Southern California that Dan Fry ran. And they were more interested, they weren't saucer buffs, but they were just interested in different crackpot type cults and these type of things. And they were interested in also philosophy and different religions and these type of things. And these guys would meet uh, a lot of times in bowling alleys because as they found out, they could hang out there for long hours and they're able to uh, order beer there too and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> wax ele- elephants uh, late into the night. And uh, so they'd have these long-winded discussions about different uh, stuff. And one time they got to talking about all the uh, chaos in the world and order versus chaos, you know, just order come out of chaos or what's this all about and they, they both kind of arrived at the uh, conclusion that there was no real order in the world that it was a 
basically a chaotic universe and it was man's perceptions that tried to make order out of it <laughs> to make sense and hence different religions came out of this that, that with different deities who brought order to the universe but uh, Thornley and Hill said well that's BS there really is no order what we need is a religion dedicated to uh, chaos and confusion and Greg Hill, he was kind of a student of Greek mythology and whatnot, and he said, hey, you know what, there is actually a Greek goddess of chaos and discord whose name is Discordia or Eris, and that's how the uh, religion of Discordianism was born, you know, back in a bowling alley in the late 1950s, and they claimed they had a religious vision there with a chimpanzee, and Eris appeared to them, and all this kind of craziness, but it, you know... It basically started as a spoof religion for these guys to play around and as a means to poke fun and organized religion way back when. But as it evolved over the years, it became, in many ways, in some ways, <laughs> there's a lot of different people involved in this and how real or true religion or fake religion, it's a combination of, uh, it depends on, who you are and what discordianism means to you. Uh, for Kerry Thornley, uh, initially he thought it was a lot of big fun, but as the years evolved and a lot of high strangeness and weird stuff happened in his life, he, think, he thought he might have actually invoked the goddess Eris, which brought all this craziness into his life, where a few years after this bowling alley revelation, he met... Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald and the Marines, and was actually writing a book about Oswald three years before the Kennedy assassination. And then uh, later, I uh, was living in uh, New Orleans and met a bunch of characters who afterwards he thought were trying to manipulate him much the same way that uh, Oswald was manipulated into being a patsy in the JFK assassination. And in 1967, when Garrison started his investigation, he targeted Thornley as a, uh, claimed he was a CIA operative involved in the assassination, that he was one of the Oswald doubles, and so all this craziness came into Thornley's life at that time, but uh, Thornley denied all these accusations, and anyway, so I get into a lot of this material in the first book, The Prankster and the Conspiracy, and the uh, next book coming out in a couple months, Caught in the Crossfire, Kerry Thornley, Oswald, and the Garrison Investigation. Now, I need to ramble on a bit because trying to give the background of all this stuff. So Discordianism, you know, they started this in 58, and Thornley, after, you know, then he went to the Marines for a while. Then they got him and Greg Kill got back together in New Orleans in the early 60s, and they started developing some of these ideas with Discordianism and brought other people into the fold, and they made they created the first edition of the Principia Discordia, which was the Bible of Discordianism, which um, everybody thought was lost all these years, that first edition, but I discovered it in the uh, Discordian archives, and we can talk a bit about that uh, later, but so all these different people started getting involved, and they all had 
spoof names like uh, Thornley was Omer Kayyem Ravenhurst, Greg Hill was Mel Eclipse the Younger. He had a guy named Roger Lovin who they met in New Orleans. He was uh, Fang the Unwashed. Robert Anton Wilson <laughs> got involved at uh, some point. He he was Mordecai the Foul, so it became yeah, Mordecai the Foul. Yeah, this yeah. collaborative project that over the years uh, <clears throat> kind of. Uh, took off and took on a life of its own and became kind of a subculture that the 60s counterculture, uh, some aspects or some people in the counterculture embraced, but it was pretty much underground for many years until the Illuminatus Trilogy came out in 75. And the Illuminatus Trilogy quotes extensively from the Principia Discordia, and it brings up all this these different Discordian in-jokes and all this stuff. At the time, you know, people picked up the Illuminatus and a lot of that stuff just made no sense. Discordianism and the quotes the Principia Discordian. A lot of people just figured Wilson and Shea, the authors of the Illuminatus, had made all this stuff, but actually it was based on all these Discordian activities these guys had been involved in over the years. And uh, Wilson... Robert Anton Wilson got involved with uh, Discordianism kind of around 67 or so when he was um, corresponding with Kerry Thornley. At that time, Wilson was the uh, editor of the Playboy Advisor column in Playboy. And Thornley, he was out on the West Coast now. He was editing this libertarian newsletter. And so that was like 67, shortly after the uh, Garrison investigation started. And so uh, Thornley was in the crosshairs of that. And uh, at one point in the investigation, Garrison had informants who was, or investigators who was telling him that uh, the Bavarian Illuminati was involved as well in the assassination. So uh, Thornley and Garrison were starting to have this adversarial relationship. And Thornley, just to screw with Garrison more, uh, heard about these Illuminati so-called Illuminati claims that they were involved in JFK assassination. So uh, Thornley in cahoots with Robert Anton Wilson and some other Discordians cooked up uh, a fake letterhead claiming you know, to be the uh, Bavarian Illuminati, and they started what was known as Operation Mindfuck, and they'd write these different uh, fake letter under their Discordian names and send them to different people. And one of them was Garrison to screw with him, saying, yes, we are involved with uh, the assassination, but we're trying to stop the assassination. We're actually here to illuminate all of you. <laughs> so all of the, these weird crazy shenanigans were going on in the name of the uh, Discordian Society uh, way back when. I don't know if I've answered your question. That's a little background on how all of this uh, got started. And Discordianism has continued to grow and evolve over the years. And it was uh, at one point, you know, like in the mid-60s, it was uh, basically Thornley and Hill, Malaclips the Younger, and Omar Kayyem Ravenhurst overseeing it, and they, they were the sole dispensers if you, of um, Legion Dynamic Discord certificates if you wanted to become a uh, Pope in the Discordian Society. But around 69, uh, Greg Hill said, screw that. If anybody wants to po- be a Pope in the Discordian Society, they should be able to name themselves such. And so that's when the... Uh, 
thrust of the Discordian Society kind of changed. Uh, the next subsequent uh, editions of the Principia, Discordia became more of a collaborative art project, and as Discordianism evolved, uh, everybody had people all over the world naming them Discordian popes and uh, taking Discordianism in all kinds of different directions. Uh, some uh, uh, and the level of belief is from zero to a hundred, you know, depending on what Discordianism means to you. So if you're not confused uh, now, uh, or if you weren't confused going into this, you're probably more confused now. Well, let me ask you, Adam. Uh, um, sorry, I didn't mean to come that hard, but uh, just out of curiosity, does this have anything to do with maybe the Charles Manson <laughs> Society? Uh, remotely. Not not really. I wrote a book on the uh, Manson family, and uh, the only connection there, oddly enough, Carrie Thornley lived in uh, Atlanta, little five points, uh, uh, yeah. and like from the, uh, oh, on and off from the late 70s till he died in the uh, 90s, and he was uh, communicating to different uh couple different prison inmates. I don't know how this communication started, but uh, I think he was just uh, helping them out, sending them, you know, books and stuff, and got to know one inmate who knew Manson. And so uh, Manson somehow uh, learned who Kerry Thornley was <laughs> and actually sent Thornley a, a Christmas card one year, and that, that's actually reproduced in this latest book, Historia Discordia. And uh, Thornley later used that Christmas card. He raffled it off to help raise money for a uh, young lady who got uh, put in a mentalist institution on the West Coast. He's trying to get her out and get her back to her family in Atlanta. So there's the startling uh, Manson family Discordian connection. That's the only one I know of. Nothing like getting a Christmas card from (laughs) Charles Manson. Yeah. It, it seems that the uh, that the Pope and all that uh, in Discordianism kind of resembles the uh, the Vatican and the whole uh, Catholic Church a little bit in, in their hierarchy. Sure, but you know, yeah, originally, yeah, they created this whole hierarchy, and in this book, Story of Discordia, we do have that uh, first edition. Reproduce, and it's the first time anybody had seen this for a long time. Everybody thought it was uh, gone or lost or missing. And as you go through that first edition, I'm kind of uh, going through it now. It really sets up this whole hierarchy of uh, Discordianism. I was going to read off some of the uh, stuff in it. It has, uh, oh, it's through the different, uh, the Arisen movement in general, and it lists all the different uh, branches of the uh, Discordian Society, the House of the Apostles of Eris, the Golden Apple Corps, uh, talks about the bureaucracy, there's a Bureau of the Eurasian Archives, the Bureau of Symbols, Emblems, Certificates, a uh, whole lot of uh, minutiae, <laughs> which is all basically uh, tongue-in-cheek, and so yeah, initially they kind of set this up as a very uh, structured, albeit, uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek uh, religion that was uh, kind of based on 
other major religions, basically just to uh, poke fun at them. Were most of the followers originally from California, or was it a nationwide thing? Well, it uh, grew over time. Originally, it was just two guys that, uh, you know, this was basically a joke in in the late 50s, and they got a little more serious in the 60s. I guess because basically uh, they'd been in high school, then Thornley went off in the Marines, and they got back together in the early 60s and said, hey, let's uh, mess around with this Discordian stuff. And so they got in New Orleans, and other people got involved. Uh, like I said, Fang the Unwashed and uh, a few others, and uh, started their own chapters there. But it was you know, it was just a handful of people. And bear in mind, a lot of these... Uh, people involved were all artists and writers a lot a lot of the early discordians like uh, thornley by you know he was a published author and greg hill had done a lot of stuff fang the unwashed uh, guy named roger lovin ended up uh, having a bunch of uh, books published the, the complete motorcycle nomad was one of his books and of course we know robert anton wilson and Robert Shea, so you had a lot of writers and artists involved in this, but in those early days, I mean, it was like a dozen people, and they started right. they started getting more people involved in different parts of the uh, country, and how they do that, it was, it was a lot of correspondence back then, and they had these things called groovy kits, which they send around, <laughs> take like a... Uh, newspaper clipping and maybe some funny poem and maybe a roach that they hadn't completely smoked and whatever. <laughs> Triple hits of acid. Yeah. Well, some, yeah. And uh, throw it into an envelope with the list and name of different Discordians. And so it gets sent to the next person on the list. They take something out they might like and want to keep and throw something else on in. And so it would go and you'd sign off the next person on the list and this would travel around the country. Then it would Greg Hill was usually the one doing this, and get back to him, and he'd have all this materials, and a lot of this stuff went into the later editions of the Principia Discordia, and it became kind of an art uh, project collaboration, and the edition um, most people know is the uh, fourth edition of the Principia Discordia, and so that's it. That's what it eventually evolved into this kind of strange thing. And yeah, you talk about acid. There was a joke in the Principia Discordia, fourth edition, once again, the most popular one. It says uh, there's one page, and it's a bunch of, if you look at it, it's a bunch of different art collages and different aphorisms and uh, weird little things in it. But on one of the pages, it says, uh, Lick here, and you might be one of the lucky 25. Which is, if you look at that, it was like the hint was there. Yeah, we put the LSD on twenty five of these pages. Right. Maybe they did. Yeah. <laughs> they right. they were into the whole yeah psychedelic. But then the other half is just psychosomatic, psychosomatically like mm-hmm. doing their own thing, like thinking that the dripping. Yeah, yeah, I got it. <laughs> I want to ask you, Adam, about uh, the whole Operation Mindfuck thing, and that's uh it's really intriguing. Like, what's the like the pranks that they pulled, and how did they like involve the Illuminati into it? Uh, you want me to get into that? Yeah. Um. So I think uh, part of it started. You know, they'd heard that 
this Garrison investigator was <laughs> on the track of the Illuminati. <clears throat> Garrison had just a little background on his investigation. You know, he had his paid staff when the JFK investigation started, and he had, you know, a couple paid investigators, but people started flocking to uh, New Orleans and joining the investigation. So he had all these unofficial investigators, and that's how the started with uh, this one guy, I think, in the Bavarian Illuminati. He's probably somebody from the John Birch Society, I'd imagine, who latched onto this, this guy named Alan Chapman. But So Thornley and uh, Wilson were corresponding at this time, and they got intrigued by the Illuminati, and both of them really dug deep into the history of the Bavarian Illuminati and became very knowledgeable about uh, that. And in fact, in, uh, it was like the sixth, I think it was May 68 uh, edition of the uh, of Playboy, in the uh, Playboy Advisor column, Thornley and Wilson cooked up this, uh, what the Playboy Advisor was, Wilson was editing it then, and you had the different column, I think the Playboy forum was for the sexy stuff, but uh, the Playboy Advisor were dealt with uh, civil liberty issues, they get these letters about different civil civil liberty abuses and stuff, and that's the column Robert Anton Wilson handled. And at one point, he he and Thornley basically planted this letter and answer in there, and the letter was somebody uh, asking about he heard rumors about this uh, secret society uh, from way back when that was somehow involved in all the major major political assassinations now and then. And, uh, you know, he heard of this, and Wilson went on, and he answered the letter saying, yeah, this could very well be the Bavarian Illuminati and all this. And so they kind of basically planted this idea into popular culture. Other people were kind of talking about the Illuminati at this time, but Wilson later went on to say after they uh, planted this uh, letter and answer in uh, the issue of Playboy, it kind of pressed the magic button and all sudden everybody seemed to be talking about uh, the Illuminati on each side. It's a good market. The, yeah. And so who knows how true that is. I think it's true to some extent that they helped push this meme of the Illuminati into popular culture, which has ran crazy in uh, uh, you know, the preceding or the uh, subsequent years. And of course, uh, Wilson used a lot of this material in the Illuminatus trilogy. When he was working as the ed- at the editor there at uh, Playboy, that's where he got a lot of the material for Illuminatus because he'd get a lot, besides, you know, the uh, letters that made it into the Playboy advisory, he'd get all these crazy uh, letters on different conspiracy <laughs> theories, and he started uh, compiling them over the years. It was stuff that was too way out to use for Playboy, and he used a lot of this for uh, source material for Illuminatus, which he and Robert Shea, Robert Shea was also an editor of Playboy, they started writing in around 68, 69, and had most of it completed by 70, but didn't weren't able to get it published until uh, 1975. And uh, the first book of uh, the Illuminatus, by the way, is dedicated to... Uh, Greg Hill and Carrie Thornley. Was it, is it dedicated to like their their like 
Discordian names or dedicated actually to them? To them, Greg Hill and Carrie Thornley. Okay. And then in the uh, Luminatus, uh, many times there's references to Omar Khayyam, Ravenhurst, and Malaclips the Younger, yeah. and a lot of other Discordians back then. Uh, uh, Lord Harold Random Factor, who was a guy named Tim Wheeler. And Discordians, you know, you're talking about uh, how true, how fake, uh, and where they are at on the political experience spectrum they're all across the board <laughs> really wilson was interested in anarchism and libertarianism and so were hill and uh, thornley but they also were part of the uh, 60s counterculture and experimentation with psychedelics and anti-war advocates other you know and there were people like i mentioned lord harold random factor tim willer who's mentioned in the illuminatus he was actually uh, even though he was uh, enjoyed smoking dope, but he, he was uh, worked as uh, one one of the editors of National Review. He worked for uh, William Buckley, and he was <laughs> a humor writer, you know. So you had uh, divergent uh, people involved in Discordianism, and you know that's continued on uh, to today. Uh, if you try to figure out what Discordianism is, it's all across the uh, board, and you know if you get on. Facebook or uh, internet forums, it just uh, really seems like a bunch of juvenile uh, jack-offs for the most part, but <laughs> that's what happens when you start a uh, religion dedicated to the Greek goddess of uh, chaos. I wanted to ask you about the whole Illuminati thing and how much that's like kind of pervasive now in popular culture. Mm-hmm. And talking about how, like, every time the Grammys come on or whatever, and you always have the people that talk about the Illuminati symbolism and the Grammys or the Olympics opening ceremony or all this kind of stuff. How much of that stuff, and, and I'm going to bring the playing cards, the Illuminati cards into this, uh, how much of that stuff is just from these guys pulling this stuff off in the 60s and the 70s? Well, definitely an influence. Um the whole Illuminati playing card thing came from Stephen Jackson Games, who yeah. was definitely influenced by uh, Illuminatus. And actually, uh, Stephen Jackson Games came out with one of the uh, editions of the uh, Principia Discordia. He uh, you know, came up with his own edition, basically reprinted the Principia and added a few things. So he was influenced by these guys. And at one time, Robert Anton Wilson was a little... He was ticked off about the uh, Illuminati uh, playing card set because he <laughs> thought that Stephen Jackson Games had uh, ripped him off. And he, Wilson, I guess, consulted a lawyer and he said, hey, it's not worth bothering about. It's probably uh, good publicity, too, in the long run, which it probably was. But so, he, yeah, they were an in, influence there for that. Uh, was, uh Stephen Jackson Game and the, the Illuminati... Uh, playing card, you know, stuff. Uh, and uh, so obviously they must, and that was an influence on uh, where we are now with the Illuminati. So uh, they definitely play a part in this whole meme that's encountered in the uh, popular culture now. Because a lot of people think that that is, that those cards show things that are going to happen or have already happened since they were made. Luke's one of those that included 
Dude, you can tell them what you think about the Illuminati cards. A couple of those illustrations are totally accurate. Mm-hmm. Like, like uh, the one with the backlash, I think it was called, with Obama behind the podium. Yeah, it shows like a that was black guy Obama behind the podium, and people yeah, say it looks it like looked Obama. Just like him. <laughs> yeah, you can see it. Well, there's a lot of references in there to a lot of different stuff. If you go through the deck, and it, it's been a while th- since I've been uh, through all of those. Uh, Wilson has had a saying, Robert Anton Wilson, the thinker thinks what the prover proves, or something like that, uh, kind of along the lines of the 23 uh, enigma. If you yeah. look hard enough for stuff, you're going to uh, find it. It was kind of the idea with the them introducing the 23 enigma, which is something they picked up on from uh, William S. Burroughs and... Uh, they started, you know, the Discordians started attributing uh, something magical to the number 23 or something ominous and put it out there in uh, popular culture. All of a sudden, people were seeing the number 23 everywhere, including <laughs> Robert Anton Wilson, which made him scratch his head. So uh, who knows? Uh, yeah, the uh, Illuminati playing cards, predictive uh, programming. Uh, Michael Jordan. You be the judge. Well, there's a we had a guest on last year uh, named Doc Marquis. Are you familiar with Doc Marquis? I have heard that name. Yeah, he's into a, a lot of the uh, Illuminati stuff. I guess he claims uh, to be a member of the Illuminati. Yeah, he claims to be an ex member of the Illuminati. Well, before, he, me, was, before, before he was saved. Before you go there, uh, I probably shared this before. I'm a current member of the Illuminati. Oh, oh, we got one on right now. <laughs> <laughs> now I'll tell you how this oh, happened. Robert, uh, Robert Anton Wilson, when he was looking into all this Illuminati stuff, was corresponding to different people who claimed to be the current heads of the Illuminati. This is back in the 70s or whatever. And then other people started claiming uh, Wilson was uh, involved with the Illuminati and was actually the head of the Illuminati. Of course, he'd neither you know, confirm or deny any of this because, hey, hey it could only yeah. help cells of the Illuminatus trilogy. Right, right. And so I probably shared this with you before. I, I, last time I talked to him, Around 2003 or so, I asked him, Bob, so is it true? Are you the head of the uh, Illuminati? And he said, no, I'm the toe, which uh, I didn't quite know how to respond to that. But uh, in any case, I said, well, since you're uh, involved with the Illuminati, can you appoint me a high priest in the Illuminati? And he uh, then he said, you are uh, thereby appointed. So there you go. So what are the secret plans? I mean, what, uh, <laughs> what's going to happen? I mean, who's going to get assassinated next? We're I didn't say things. it made me more uh, aware or knowledgeable of anything, but uh, i got to go through some more initiation rituals. But So, uh, okay, t- yeah. t- so let's talk about Doc Marquis. Well, um, just real quick, because I think Luke wants to ask you something, but he 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 uses the Illuminati cards as proof that the Illuminati is real and the whole plan is you know the whole plan is set of what they're going to do. And this guy does like big time like at like Christian prophecy conferences. Yeah, I mean, he'll he'll like he'll fill rooms up and people just eat it, just eat it up. I, I think maybe 
Carrie Thornley and Greg Hill and Robert Anton Wilson would probably be proud to see that <laughs> that's good. That's happening. Let me ask you: Have you ever been involved in any type of uh, sex magic? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I tried, but. Can't in- uh, I haven't been able to interest anybody, so. <laughs> Not that I'm unwilling, you know. <laughs> right, I think we're all willing. <laughs> well, I want to talk about. Uh, I mean, too, sex, like... sex magic has a lot of different connotations. Con- yeah. And Wilson got into it, you know, he was looking to all these different disciplines and uh, whatnot. And a lot of times what, you know, people are talking about is uh, tantric yoga and all that, which isn't some weird satanic uh, crazy thing where you got some naked witch on an altar and all this, all of that stuff he did with his uh, wife, uh, you know, and a lot of it is, um, not so much the consummation of the physical act, but uh, achieving a higher state of awareness using, uh, you know, different uh, aspects of uh, tantric yoga, which I really don't know that much about either. So (laughs) sex magic is usually painted with the brush of being some, you know, diabolical Satanist, uh, sex drugs, craziness. But I think... uh, Tantric yoga itself is uh, something that, uh, you know, is, what am I trying to say? Trying to achieve basically a higher state of uh, awareness and uh, functioning a higher level of being, uh, something that's on a more lofty level than, you know, simple uh, base emotions that, uh, you know, happen during sex. Well, uh, you you can two people can sleep with each other, you know, and then uh, just has the pleasure just to have company with each other, and then two people can actually get together and have a real connection, a real tangible connection, you know. That and I think that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. It's like the, uh, the 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 two people learn that they uh, are together as one rather than than being separate, and that's what's all, what it's all about. Really, it's just the realization. Very well put, yes. Luke is poetic tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the reason he asked you that because he asked you that on the last yeah, show. So we wanted, to bring, we wanted show. to bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably one of the few guests we could actually ask that yeah, question. Well, that, that was, yeah, well, that was yeah like he, the whole premise of a previous show. So Luke answered it better than I can, you know, because I just did uh, have a rudimentary knowledge of it all. I've never... Uh, Attempted it myself either. Darn it. What was the role of, um, like, anarchism and libertarianism with these guys? Because reading in Prankster and the Conspiracy, you know, Carrie Thornley, you know, he starts out as kind of like a, almost really kind of conservative in a way, Mm -hmm. despite some of the weirdness that he was doing, starting Discordianism and all that. And then he kind of ends, he's into, like, Ayn Rand philosophy. Then he kind of gets into the point where he's just a complete, you know, almost anarchist and, and, uh, well, pretty much an anarchist. But, uh, and Robert Anton Wilson, you know, he was pretty much the same way. He had a lot of ideas about libertarianism, 
So what kind of like the role that those kind of philosophies played in with these guys? Well, a lot of people think of anarchism as people chucking bombs and blowing things up. And they're really right. looking for uh, self-sufficiency, uh, limiting government, you know, which is uh, similar to libertarianism. Uh, and so that's what uh, initially started a lot of the uh, correspondence between the uh, Thornley and Wilson, because they both had interests in anarcho-libertarianism, they called it. A lot of people in the 60s counterculture did as well. Uh, less government, self-sufficiency. One of the uh, initial conversations uh, Wilson and Thornley had about uh, a guy named Lysander Spooner, who was an anarchist, and he had started a non-governmental uh, postal delivery uh, system way back then in opposition to the U.S. postal system and actually uh, was quite uh, successful. It was, uh, you know, it was more, uh, less uh, expensive than the uh, U.S. Postal Service and turned a profit and these type of things and they shut Spooner down for whatever reason because they felt it uh, (laughs) they were the government they wanted to make money off it but they were so they were looking into this alternative stuff the Scordians came up with their own alternative currency as well which they called flax notes and so these were the type of ideas they were uh, floating around they were inspired by a guy named uh, Emperor Norton who you might know stories of he was a Discordian saint kind of a uh, crackpot uh, guy who dressed up in regalia in San Francisco and back around late uh, on the 1880s or so proclaimed himself the uh, emperor of the U.S. and protector of Mexico and issued his own currency (laughs) that was accepted in bars and stuff so it was kind of a takeoff on that and they different Discordians came up with their own flax notes so these were the type of alternatives, call them uh, anarchist alternatives, uh, type, um, type of different uh, things that they were uh, promoting ideas they hadn't. A lot of that went into uh, a lot of the stuff in the Illuminatus trilogy, too. So, can those flax notes get me some beers here in Tennessee? <laughs> <laughs> you can always give it a try. In fact, we... Uh, promote the book again, I have a bunch of the original Flax notes uh, reproduced in this later book, his latest book, excuse me, Astoria Discordia, available through Amazon.com. I never, I'd heard of, like, Emperor Norton, I think through, like, the, I can't remember where it was, I think it might have been, like, the, like, one of those, like, weird U.S. books mm-hmm. talked about him. I had no idea that he was, he was such, like, a kind of important influence on on discordianism oh yeah big time and he's uh influenced a lot of people they still love him in the uh san francisco in the bay area it's just the type of uh crack pots that uh you know at uh, san francisco at its best uh cultivated and they're still trying to get the Bay Bridge named after uh emperor norton there's still some movement, are they really movement to do that there's a petition going around uh, right now. So, uh, 
Yeah, he's a uh, verified Discordian saint, and if you're ever in uh, Colma, California, you can go visit his uh, gravesite, which is a uh, one of many Discordian shrines. Isn't there a Discordian shrine at uh, the bowling alley? Mm-hmm. Where uh, the well, our, actually, no one knows which bowling alley it was, or has well, that been? Yes and no. Something else I wrote about, which you can read about in the latest book. Um, <laughs> I, it, it depends on who you talk to. Uh, for a long time, uh, you know, even Thornley said as much, and I think the uh, introduction to the Lumpanics version of uh, Principia Discordia, that it was different uh, bowling alleys where they discovered Discordianism and had their vision different bowling alleys around Yorba Linda and Whittier, uh, California. So a few years back, I think I rediscovered uh, the uh, key bowling alley, or one of them. Uh, this this happened, uh, we were, I was involved in a thing where we were doing, I belonged to a 14 group, and we were doing a visit to the uh, Nixon Museum, and it, which is in, uh, that's in, let's see, I'm getting that confused now. That's Yorba Linda or Whittier. Maybe it's Yorba Linda. They're right close to each other. And He was, uh, we, from, he was from Whittier, so. Mm-hmm, yep. Which is another interesting link, because Greg Hill and Kerry uh, Thornley were from there, right? Yeah. Tom Waits yeah. is from there, too, but that's another Oh, story. really? So the intent of this whole thing, uh, visit to the Nixon Museum, there was this guy named Jeffrey Valance who's, uh, done a lot of uh, research into uh, Nixon, believes his ghost is there at the Nixon Museum, so we brought in a psychic to channel Nixon and all this stuff, and I thought, oh, while we're down there, maybe I had to look for the bowling alley, and this was 2009, so before I even headed down to meet up with these folks, I did a, a Google search and put in must have put in Bowling Alley and Whittier, and boom, up comes some images of this old-school Bowling Alley. I go, man, I bet that's I bet that's the place. And I did a little more cert research on it, and the Bowling Alley was called the uh, Friendly, Hills, uh, Friendly Hills Lanes or Friendly Hills Bowling Alley. I go, whoa, <laughs> that's a connection right there. Because in the uh, when I was uh, writing the prankster and the conspiracy, I interviewed uh, Thornley's brother, and he said uh, he was talking about when they were just kids, you know, preteens. Uh, they used to uh, go to a Friendly Hills subdivision that was being built. It was in walking distance to their house, and I go, "Whoa, this is obviously one of the bowling alleys." And of course, I just went ahead and said, this is the bowling alley. And we went ahead and actually did a uh, Discordian ritual there. And uh, so I'm, I'm proclaiming that's the uh, actual, what they call, what we call the Brunswick uh, Shrine. As you walk into the Brunswick Shrine, uh, as you look straight ahead, the, the bowling alley you see uh, directly in front of you is the number 23. Oh really? Which is, uh, and if and there's some obvious uh, um, hints in the uh, movie The Big Lebowski to this as well. And a lot of people who are into sportingism have p- 
picked up on this. <clears throat> the uh, bowling alley where the uh, dude bowls from, uh, the whole movie is, what lane do you think that might be? 23? Yep. <laughs> you only see it once or twice where they show the actual number 23. Then the later, uh, when you're in the uh, dude's apartment, he's making a white Russian, and uh, there's a uh, photo hanging on the wall of, guess who? Is it... Uh... Is it Carrie Thornley? No, it's Richard Nixon bowling. Richard Nixon, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. And so, yeah, there's another strange link to Discordianism. Maybe, I'm pretty sure the Cohn brothers uh, wittingly knew about that and put those little hints to Discordianism in their film. Yeah, I'm sure they're aware of it. Uh, how does, like, Discordianism influence you know, like festivals on the West Coast, like uh, Burning Man? Well, you do have the, the influence. It's uh, some, A lot of people don't even know. I mean, there's a lot of pop culture references, it seems like, to Discordianism in the 23 and all this, but I think like the whole Illuminati thing, people aren't aware of what, or even know what Discordianism is or what it's... Uh, role is discordianism uh, depending on who you talk to definitely or you know had an influence to some extent on the uh, church of subgenius which is obviously much uh, you know has a bigger and wider audience and discordianism is more well known in fact uh, Kerry Thornley was involved with uh, the church of subgenius you know for several years yeah. so it's one of those influences that uh, it's definitely there, but it's it's kind of an undercurrent. It's hidden that a lot of people aren't immediately aware of. Church of the Subgenius, I was familiar with um, from living in Atlanta, because on one of the uh, college radio stations, I think it was like Georgia Tech radio station, they would play it late at night, like late on Saturday nights they would play like the church of the sub genius mm. like radio show. And would always be like, what the hell is this stuff? <laughs> you know, <laughs> great. Stuff, and, uh, yeah. acapella books, uh, you know, comes up cause I guess the totally work there. He worked there and he actually lived in the back of the place for a while. Oh, wow. Cause I'm, I'm familiar with that place too. Like I'm familiar with little five points, all that. I think Luke, you went with us. Yeah, little I five did. I experienced point. it. It was a good time. Uh, yeah. Um, Acapella books and a little five points there. Yeah, and I've actually got a story about acapella books. Interesting story. Okay, you want a personal story for you? Go ahead and uh, lay it on me. Uh, well, my friend and I were sitting in acapella books. We were just looking around, browsing, and uh, I can't remember when this was. This might have been like early, like two thousand or two thousand one, something like that. And uh, we're sitting there. And this guy walks in and starts talking to the two clerks. And he says, I'm looking for a book on German Shepherd training. How to train a German Shepherd. And the name of the author is either Eichmann or Ehrlichman. And the clerks look around and say, uh, no, we don't, we don't have that, that kind of book. You know, they kind of hem and haw for a little bit. 
And then later on, the guy the, the guy walks out, and then the guy saying like something like, "That was weird." Guy walks in and asks for like a book on how to train German shepherds for either like a by either like a Nazi or a Nixon <laughs> White House aide. Couldn't help but thinking either like there was an Operation Mindfuck thing going on there. I don't know. Well, there might have been. There was a lot of uh, strange stories uh, surrounding Thornley. The little five points in relation to acapella books. And the guy who runs the uh, place is uh, Frank Rice. And uh, so he uh, he became aware of Thornley. I guess uh, it was like in the uh, 90s. Thornley was kind of a uh, street person. People knew him. He uh, hung all kinds of... Uh, his wall art, which he'd call it, uh, little things he'd write up and he'd hang them on different posts and stuff and little five points. And it was known as, as a character, you know, this guy had this crazy, uh, background, but he was kind of a beloved figure there. And at, uh, some point, uh, Frank Rice, uh, befriended him and, uh, actually, uh, ended up uh, employing Kerry there first to, you know, kind of be a clerk and to clean up uh, things. Kerry uh, attracted a lot of crazy people, too, and sometimes <laughs> uh, eventually kind of got out of hand. So he had to quit working there because he's just uh, causing too much of a scene. People want to hang out with uh, Thornley. A lot of times Thornley would... Uh, set up a table right in front of acapella books and sell his books as well. You know, he had uh, Zenarchy and Idol Warriors that had been published around that time by Illuminate Press, a great uh, publisher out of the Atlanta area. And so uh, for a period of time, Thornley actually lived in the back of uh, acapella books and kind of a... Uh, storage space which he turned into a living space <laughs> nowadays I, th- yeah. I think it's some little restaurant or something they have uh back there i'm not sure yeah it's, i've been it's been a couple of years since i've been down there but that it's it's changed kind of uh it's gone it goes through phases like um you know when i first started going down there it was kind of a it was kind of a sleazy part of town but it was kind of cool you yeah know? and you had you had different um uh, you had different like uh, clubs that would open up and close down because like you know the owners were selling drugs mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that, and now it's kind of become of a more it's kind of a more kind of a hipster kind of feel to it. Than yeah, it, it it used to just kind of be just like it's just this sleazy little sleazy part. Like the one place I used to love to go was called the uh, the Star Bar, which is oh, right yeah, down the yeah, street. Yeah, well, yeah, well, there, and it, there, yeah. I was gonna say it's still there. I was gonna they say they had a. They had a vault that, that it was like used to be a bank, and there was a vault that like uh, had like all kind of like Elvis memorabilia in it, you know. Yeah, he brought up the Star Bar. There's a story about that in the uh, Prankster and the Conspiracy. Oh, really? Let me uh, pull out the book just a second, reading to you. There. Yes, yeah, so I haven't gotten to. I'm, I'm about like. I think it's around like 1975 or 76. I'm in on the book right now. Yeah, hang on a sec. So I'm pulling out the book and reading it to you because I'd probably be better than trying to remember it off the top of my head. 
the end of the book gets into some of the uh, little five-point stuff that gets on, and then uh, particularly when he worked at uh, acapella books, and there was some, you talk about strangeness or uh, Operation Mindfuck or stuff going on, and yeah. they were looking for, somebody looking for a book on training German shepherds by Eichmann, with a type of... Uh, <laughs> Eichmann or Ehrlich. Yeah. <laughs> Watergate or uh, the Nazis. Uh, excuse me, this makes for great uh, radio flipping through. Yeah, it's all right. It's all pre-recorded anyway. Okay. Here we are. So Frank Rice, I was telling you, is the guy who uh, Kerry worked for at uh, Acapella Books, and I'll read this passage for you. As Frank Rice became more aware of the conspiratorial legends surrounding Kerry, he began to hear tales that everywhere Kerry had worked in L5P, little five points, that mysterious strangers in dark suits would show up. <clears throat> Frank never took any of these stories seriously until one Christmas when he treated all of the acapella employees to dinner at the Star Bar in the little five points. Sometime uh, during the course of festivities, the bartender came over and passed around drinks to everyone, compliments of a gentleman seated at another table. In due course, Frank's wife, Cynthia, went over and thanked the fellow, a conservative-appearing middle-aged man, and invited him over to their table. After exchanging pleasantries, the fellow informed the group that he was a veterinarian, and spoke with what Frank considered to be an obviously phony Scottish accent. As the evening wore on, the man with the phony Scottish accent engaged those at Frank's table in conversation about one topic or another. However, after Kerry left, the conversation wound up being exclusively about him, Kerry. As Frank recalled, and now this is Frank talking here, it was so strange. Clearly this guy wasn't who he said he was, and one way or another, the conversation got around to Kerry and Oswald and all this other stuff. And that wasn't the only time. Within a couple months of this incident, my wife and I were out for dinner in the neighborhood. And again, this has never happened before to us and it has never happened since. We're sitting in a restaurant. And once again, the waiter comes up and says, this couple over here wants to buy you all a bottle of wine. And we accept and we invite them over to the table. And this time it's this young couple. And we start talking about everything in the world, and before it's over, we start talking about Kerry Thornley and him working for me and what I knew about him. And those two incidents, whenever I end up talking to anybody about Kerry Thornley, there's something there. That stuff just wasn't out of the blue, and I told Kerry about, about it, and it didn't phase him at all. He said, oh, yeah, that stuff happens all the time. They're all over the place. These incidents fit the same description as what I had heard from other people who knew Carrie before me and would say, oh, yeah, when Carrie used to work at the pub, there were always these men in dark suits. So he was, it seemed that he was being followed for a good deal of his life. Well, and it must have been that he had just had gotten, he just got used to it. Quite, uh, yeah, quite possibly. And a lot of people thought he was uh, nuts when he was, uh, he'd bring up this stuff, how he'd been spied upon all these years. But, <laughs> and he did go off the deep end for a while and started uh, confabulating uh, stuff, you know, during the uh, 70s. He got really paranoid, but, you know, is uh, paranoia a higher form of awareness? Did, 
him being harassed in this manner would lead to kind of a uh, psychological breakdown he had during, you know, during one point of his life. That's like he accused uh, Robert Anton Wilson of, of being his CIA handler or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, yeah, he did. Uh, about that, about, and about the whole thing about, uh, about mind control, and I have something else I want to ask you from our previous um, <clears throat> conversation a couple of weeks ago with Nick Redfern. But this is specifically about mind control and about Thornley, and that he thought that he was... A, a victim of it mm-hmm. and that he thought that because it had come out later on that that air base I think it was like a Sugi in Japan that he was stationed with uh, with, Os- with Lee Harvey Oswald that that was a major uh, point of the CIA running MK Ultra. yeah we might have talked about this before um, yeah we did kind of briefly yeah there's uh, a couple things uh, they didn't Oswald and Thornley didn't serve there at the same time, but they both uh, served there as uh, radar technicians, and they had a certain level of uh, clearance. Uh, This was during the whole uh, U-2 spy plane Cold War period. And uh, so as it turns out, uh, where the CIA had all their LSDs stored were in a couple places, and uh, this is where they were also doing testing on uh, military troops and whatnot under the auspices of uh, MK Ultra. And those two uh, sites were, yeah, the Itsugi Air Base, where uh, both Thornley and Oswald had served, and also in Manila, uh, where uh, Thornley had also uh, served. Those were the two places he was stationed overseas where they had all the. Uh, LSD storehouse, and uh, yeah, Thornley later uh, grew to believe that uh, he'd been, uh, you know, uh, a victim of uh, basically MK Ultra, and so have Oswald. There's some interesting stories about Oswald when he was uh, serving overseas, where he, a couple episodes of what seemed to be LSD. flashbacks or freakouts that he had and there's also another uh, curious story and I think this is recounted in uh, a book called Acid Dreams by Martin Shane and I forget the other author's name I also bring it up in the prankster and the conspiracy that uh, a guy had shown up in New Orleans (coughs) at the district attorney's office this was during a period when Oswald was supposedly there in, like, uh, 63 or so. This guy had shown up and asked, uh, talking to one of the assistant district attorneys, he was quizzing the district attorney on the uh, legality of LSD and uh, things of this nature. And that was the end of the meeting, and then a short time later, uh, of course, the assassination went down. This assistant district attorney recognized Oswald as the same guy who came into his uh, office uh, asking about LSD. Of course, many have uh, pointed towards the distinct possibility that Oswald was some type of uh, deep cover agent. And, and Thornley had also had a contact with uh someone that he called brother-in-law 
and that he knew as Gary Kirstein, mm-hmm. but and he thought nothing of it at the time. Like you know, this is pre-assassination in New Orleans, which seemed to be like you know the like spook city down there. And the what's funny is that later on, after Watergate, he puts two and two together and realizes that that brother-in-law might have been E. Howard Hunt. Uh, yeah, and uh, coincidentally enough, uh, E. Howard Hunt had uh, served at uh, Sugi Air Base during that same period as Thornley and Oswald. Yeah. <laughs> so and it's that, all ki- all kinds of uh, strange connections like that that make you go, hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's weird because, you know, Thornley is living in New Orleans, and he's like blocks away from where... You know Oswald lives, who is the who is the subject of a book he's writing, mm-hmm. and that somehow they never run into each other. Well, I get uh, into depth in that on my next uh, book, and uh, there's yeah. different uh, theories, and the one that makes uh, the most sense to me, and what's been confirmed more or less by uh, John Armstrong in his book Harvey and Lee, is that. Uh, Thornley, you know, it was claimed that he was seen with Oswald in New Orleans. There was like a one or two week period where that is possible, where they were both there. But uh, it's, I think it's quite possible or probable that it was actually one of the Oswald doubles <laughs> that Thornley met with, didn't realize, you know, didn't yeah. peg him for Oswald. And when other people... Uh, Naturally, it's just one witness who claimed they, he saw him with Oswald. Uh, that's how that might have went down. But uh, Thornley, you know, he continued to deny any knowledge of meeting uh, Oswald in New Orleans. And so the verdict's out. I, in the this latest book, or the book that's coming out uh, shortly, I think the release date is October, I get into all the various different uh, allegations against uh, Thornley uh, via Garrison and some of the uh, quote-unquote witnesses and try to address those. And a lot of them, most of them, if not all of them, um, don't seem like they have uh, anything of substance behind them. But but let me add, though, that... uh, And Thornley believed this in later years that, you know, he denied, initially denied all of Garrison's uh, allegations. And in later years, you know, when he started uh, coming across this information about E. Howard Hunt and all this stuff, he thought, well, maybe Garrison was on to something. A lot of that makes sense. And Thornley bumped into, met different people, maybe he met Oswald or a double he had brief meetings with uh, Ferry and uh, Guy Bannister and all these different players, uh, Clay Shaw, that Garrison identified as being part of this matrix of different people involved in the uh, this plot to kill Kennedy. Thornley described these as brief meetings, uh, chance meetings. A lot of times he just shook hand and had brief conversations. Uh, Thornley later suspected that those meetings had really been set up to uh, associate him with all these different players to uh, set him up after the fact in the same way that uh, Oswald had been set 
set up and Thornley suspected later on grew to suspect that he had been like pegged to be a uh, fallback patsy in the assassination if the Oswald setup hadn't worked out. And there was some suspicion too by somebody that uh, that like the picture of that appeared on Time magazine of Lee Harvey Oswald with the holding the gun and the uh, holding the rifle and holding the uh, communist newspaper. They said that that's Oswald's head, but not his body. Well, that's some suspicion that that was Thornley's body. Yeah, that was that came from Garrison. <laughs> yeah, and Garrison got a lot of different information from different people, and he speculated a lot of things. And there was the possibility of. Uh, Thornley being in Texas during that period because he had traveled uh, he was living in New Orleans basically from 61 to 63 and in May of 63 he traveled back to uh, California by bus and uh, also so he spent forget uh, a little bit of time uh, actually a few months in California came back via Mexico and through Texas, and this kind of lined up with uh, when Oswald had gone to uh, Mexico City and Oswald was living in Texas. So Garrison, you know, he made these associations and he was just speculating. I mean, he had no real proof, but yeah, it was uh, Thornley who uh, posed for that uh, picture there of uh, Oswald with the man liquor Carcano rifle and like some communist uh, newspaper in his other hand. No, there's well, no real proof of any of that. Right, it showed that, right. that it was possible, you know, that uh, that could have happened. With I wanted to get your opinion on something. We had uh, Nick Redford on a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about his latest book, which was like Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. And uh, I know you know Nick. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we talked about a case, uh, talked about Frank Olson. Yeah. Uh, was one of the chapters in the book. And he talked about a case in, uh, I believe it was Mississippi, where there was like an alien abduction. Supposedly like where they, these guys saw that uh, these two guys were abducted by aliens and uh, taken aboard a spacecraft. You know, the typical kind of alien abduction story. And that where they were abducted was not that very many miles away from this uh, island where the CIA had been in the past conducting like MK Ultra experiments there. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that came up on that was a chemical called BZ, yeah, which apparently can make you pretty damn high and make you see just about anything. Hook us up, Adam. <laughs> yeah, you got some BZ. <laughs> I don't want any of that shit. <laughs> What's your? What would be your take on that? You but... know you're reading books and working for the government. <laughs> it's funny. I had I was uh, conversing with somebody today who uh, said they thought they were given BZ at one point. Really? Yeah, and I hadn't. That hadn't come up for a long time. Well, all that is possible, you know. Uh, I can't talk about that uh, specific case. There was the dude, uh, you familiar with uh, a manuscript called The Controllers by Martin Cannon? No, actually I'm not. Oh boy, yeah, you can find it on the web. Uh, he 
he was really the first one to float this uh, back in the mid-90s uh, or so. And uh, he, he'd, he'd come up with this theory and pretty well documented how he came to some of his conclusions that uh, basically MK, or that the alien, whole alien abduction thing was a cover for uh, MK Ultra. And uh, so that's when a lot of these conversations, since then you've had books called My Lab and uh, other things that have looked into this whole area, but I would track down the uh, controllers by Martin Cannon. He was a curious uh, character, though. I was in correspondence with him back then in the uh, late 90s or so, and uh, that book, The Controllers, was a Quite uh, caused quite a uh, stir, you know, in the conspiracy research community, and it was basically just a uh, self-published. It wasn't even a book; it was a document floating around the internet. It was making quite a stir, and uh, Martin uh, he uh, presented uh, presented his findings, presentations at different conspiracy or UFO conferences and whatnot. And so I was talking to him around that uh, period, and uh, he was also had a book deal going with uh, Feral House, was going to publish the controllers, and he got an advance for this from uh, Adam Parfrey. And all of a sudden, he freaked out. He never uh, produced the uh, final manuscript, I guess. Hmm. Uh, Parfrey uh, saw him at some... Uh, UFO conference or convention or whatever and approached him and uh, Cannon flipped out and was acting all strange about this stuff. The next thing you know, he's reversed his story and now he's an advocate for alien abductions that his original premise, which was quite brilliant, <laughs> was all wrong and now he was adopting the uh, basically uh, ETH, the extraterrestrial hypothesis to explain alien abductions, which was all very uh, confusing. Then the guy pretty much uh, disappeared from the scene. <laughs> I'm not sure what uh, happened to him. Right. So I got off on a little bit of a tangent there, but, uh, you know, it's a distinct possibility that uh, drugs and MKUltra and whatever, these PSYOPs, PSYOPs have been used to uh, manipulate people who involved in the UFO scene. A good example is uh, Paul Benowitz, if you're familiar with that story. It's, it sounds familiar. Yeah, he's the one who came up. Uh, a lot of people point that's how the whole Dulce thing started. He lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico, near... Uh, Kirkland Air Force Base and started reporting all of these uh, actually filmed them strange craft they were probably <laughs> experimental craft out there but he started filming these things and they were close to uh, an area where they kept weapons and whatnot so uh, what's his name Benowitz was concerned about this contacted the Air Force and uh, the Air Force, uh, you know, Benowitz was uh, started suspecting it might have been aliens involved. In, uh, you got different people involved with the Air Force uh, 
Office of Special Investigations. One, the most notorious, this guy named Richard Doty was an uh, Air Force uh, Special Investigations officer who started feeding Benowitz basically disinformation and uh, got the guy all paranoid. And uh, it's also where Bill Moore comes into it. He was a UFO investigator, and he was uh, working with uh, the Air Force. He's trying to get information <laughs> from them about extraterrestrials, and he got caught up in the middle of this Benowitz thing and was feeding Benowitz information. Benowitz started acting pretty crazy after a while, and... Uh, there were some reports that uh, Bill Moore, somebody visited Benowitz in one time, and looked like he'd been shot up quite a bit with, he had tracks like from a hypodermic needle, like this type of psyops might have been going on with him. They diverted his attention somehow at some point to uh, Dulce, and I think that was uh, basically a way to get him not to be looking at Kirtland Air Force Base and seemed like a lot of the uh, Dulce legends started evolving out of that period as well, you know, kind of the same thing with, we see uh, with Area, what went on with Area 51 to present that it was uh, extraterrestrials, you know, where in reality they were using that to just um, muddy the waters and confuse people about the stuff that was going on at both of those sites. Like, for instance, uh, the cattle mutilations started in that during that period around Dulce, and a lot of uh, people suspect it was actually from radiation that had got released because uh, that whole area in Dulce <laughs> was part of that uh, big project where they did underground detonations around 67 that released, uh, a lot of people think released radioactive materials. I'm really going off on a tangent here, but. Uh, so, well, you know, it's interesting because it's like, it's, it's just all this information and there's just so much confusion. Well, yeah, there's, there. yeah, well, there's so much that you can't, it gets to the point where you can't, uh, it's just hard sorting through it all, you know, you give up. Adam, how did you, um, in the time that we have left, how did you, you know, get a hold of the materials for the, for the book. Um, I really wasn't that knowledgeable about Discordianism initially. I was more interested in Carrie Thornley, and uh, so was uh, started uh, working on a book about him in the mid-90s. Uh, in the early 90s, there was a book that came out called Conspiracies, Cover-Ups, and Crimes by Jonathan Vankin, Covered. Yeah, I've got it here in the library yeah. somewhere. So the yeah. first chapter is dedicated to Carrie Thornley. I'd known a little bit about uh, Thornley, and I read that, and it was just crazy because he was talking about not only um, how he knew Oswald and all that, but how he uh, suspected he was an MK Ultra victim and a Nazi genetic uh, breeding experiment, and also mentioned Discordianism. I didn't know that much, but... Wow, this guy's, I thought he's a fascinating character. And uh, Vankin, the guy who wrote that book, uh, said that he was uh, contemplating writing a full biography of Carrie Thorne. I thought, man, that would be cool. I'll jump on that whenever it comes out. He never did. And so I was uh, gathering material on Thornley. And uh, 
eventually got to the point where I thought around 2000 or so, well, maybe I had to write that book. And oddly enough, and I've told this story countless times, but uh, I got an email during that uh, period, and this was at an email address that was a private address that nobody I'm involved with in the conspiracy realm knew about. It was, you know, just a few friends and family knew about this email address. So I got an email there, and this was in July of 2000, informing me that Greg Hill, the founder of Discordianism, had died, and it was from a fellow named Robert Newport, who I had no idea who he was. So I thought, hmm. I emailed him back, and I go, I really didn't know who Greg Hill was at that time. Really, I'd heard the name a little bit, but so how he knew to contact me with this information... I don't know, but I emailed back and said, Hey, uh, uh, Mr. Newport, did you know Kerry Thornley as well? I'm kind of uh, thinking about writing a biography in, of him. And he said, Yeah, I knew uh, both Thornley and Hill. I was one of the founding members of Discordianism. I you know, was in high school with these guys, lifelong friends. And I thought, Wow, that's interesting. So I started a correspondence with him. And he, without... Uh, Meeting up with Newport, I probably wouldn't have written that book. And he he had known Robert Anton Wilson. Eventually, uh, uh, met with both Newport and Wilson in Santa Cruz, California. Interviewed them uh, both about Thornley. And at that time, Newport brought uh, with him what he called the Discordian Archives, which was an armload of material. <laughs> And uh, he let me borrow it, take it home, scan it. Some of it ended up in the uh, prankster and the conspiracy. And I got it back to him. I said uh, to him at that time, this is back 2003, I go, well, there's a lot of good stuff here. I think this could make a separate book down the uh, road, you know, if you're cool with that. And he was always cool with it. And so time passed. I stayed in touch, and I go, you know, I was getting more serious, you know, towards the end of the 2000s about maybe doing the Discordian history book. I recontacted him now, and he was always cool. Then in 2009, he said, uh, uh, yeah, and the next time you're down here in L.A., stop by, and I'll give you everything, you know. I, I thought, uh, well, I just thought that was harmless. I didn't know what everything meant, but it turned out being several boxes of material, which... <laughs> I am now the curator of, and we also have uh, more material on the East Coast, too, that we've got from different people. So, anyway, it's been serendipitous and uh, synchronistic, led to these uh, different book projects, Historia, Discordia, and this next one coming out, uh, Caught in the Crossfire, Kerry Thornley, Oswald, and the uh, Garrison Investigation, because within the Discordian archives, these are Greg Hill's archives, not only did it have a lot of these wonderful Discordian materials, but it had a lot of material that uh, dealing with Kerry Thornley and the JFK assassination. Uh, we were talking about, uh, before we uh, started recording here, about a getting... Uh, was appropriate to get inebriated or whatever because <laughs> Thornley would approve of that. And I said, well, Thornley didn't yeah. get really inebriated that much, but he liked to uh, smoke the herb a bit. And in uh, the materials on the East Coast that, that we received, they were some of 
they were basically uh, Thornley's materials. Uh, going through them all, and every a lot of them were hanging uh, file folder type stuff, <laughs> and in and Manila folders, and in all uh, according to the guy I'm working with out there, in every folder there's residue of uh, marijuana, <laughs> one form. Really? Of, yeah. <laughs> so he liked, yeah, he liked to smoke the herb. Should come as no surprise. <laughs> Do you feel like you've uh, you've kind of inherited the mantle of these guys considering that you have all the materials and that's that you feel like the torch got passed to you somehow it did yep that's what it Uh, it is what it is (laughs) excellent so can we be deemed can we be deemed popes anybody can uh claim uh call themselves popes or declare themselves such but yeah i now officially declare all of you discordian popes that was you, you I'm going to require zero participation, and I can, I can get I can get you some Pope cards too. Oh yeah, it's whatever you want it to be. You got to come up with your own uh, Pope names though, and uh, start your own Discordian cabals. Nope. <laughs> well, Adam, uh, what? Uh, where can people get your books and uh, contact you? Oh, let me plug. Uh, there's a website. Uh, devoted to all of this craziness, called appropriately enough historiadiscordia.com, which uh, for the material that didn't make it into the book, it's a lot of that stuff's ending up on the website. And I have constantly have people contacting me with other oddities we're putting up on that website. So people who are interested in Discordianism and the history of it go to that uh, Website and that'll list the different Discordian related books. But all my books are on Amazon. If you just uh, do a web search for Adam Go Rightly, easy enough to find. Then I have other websites. People are interested. AdamGoRightly.com. Then uh, a blog where I. It's more of a humorous thing where I'm less active there these days. But you're probably familiar with that. I have the. Uh, Kooky Christian album covers and uh, Devil Girls of the Month and that type of stuff. And that's gorightly.wordpress.com. Yeah, I got one of my Facebook covers from the uh, Kooky Christian album covers oh, that you posted up there. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, there's tons of them. I, was, I had a uh, folder, you know, I'd collect those over the years. And I finally emptied the folder out. So that might be the end of the... Uh, kooky Christian album covers for a while unless some, something pops up on my radar, but I think, uh, yeah, there's like over 60 of them I posted over the years. Even cooler than the DZ, man. I want to get my hands on that uh, JWH-111 or whatever it was called that makes you feel like you're free-falling. <laughs> I, mean, I, I think Luke's obsessed. So, <laughs> so, so do you just like take this shit and just feel like you're just like falling the whole time? <laughs> I, are, you, are you screaming? Ah! <laughs> I, I kind of vaguely know what you're talking about, but I don't. Well, uh, the the article that Adam sent me was talking about BZ, and that's the first I'd heard of it oh, too. Okay. And it's uh, it's an include it's it's inclusion in the uh, experiments. Uh, what do you call it? I I just forgot. M- Brain went blank. MK Ultra. Yeah, that's yeah. it. And um, yeah, they were they were talking about. I'm not getting it right, but I I thought it was called JWH 111 or something. It was like something that. close to that. Well, but the yeah. JW, yeah, the JWH family is is a cannabinoid, so I'm sure I'm getting that wrong. 
Well, the movie uh, Jacob's Ladder is basically about BZ. And uh, right. yeah. it's been yeah. a while since I've seen that with Tim Robbins and... Uh, Timothy Robbins. Tim Ro- is that the right name? Tim Robbins? Timothy. Yeah. Timothy Robbins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, BZ's been out, been out there a long... Stanley Kubrick. ...time. What? Uh, that isn't a Kubrick movie, is it? No, it's not. It's not, it's not a Kubrick sure. movie. Yeah, sure. But, yeah, that, that was some bad stuff, and I guess they introduced it during... Uh, Vietnam era. Yeah. Yeah. Not a good time. Another thing, an interesting thing about read about BZ, this goes into the alien abduction thing, was that like people can have be two people can be on it, more than two people can be on it and have shared experience. Oh, yeah. that's great. Well, that's interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Because you know, right. you know, same as DMT or ayahuasca. Yeah. You know about my UFO experience. I'm sure I've shared that here before. Uh, yeah, yeah. We the guy I had that with it was a shared experience. We were seeing the same stuff. So who knows? I I hadn't heard that before. That's very intriguing. Were you guys under the influence of anything at the time? Oh yeah. Was it... Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, we're gonna we're gonna to get off here and uh, stay on the line for us, Adam. And, okay. Uh, we'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal. Welcome back to Ex- Conspiracy Normal. Leather purse. <laughs> Call the bus driver. Call the bus driver. First the dodgy. Oh my gosh, I'm dead. Jesus. <laughs> you enjoy your nap, Bobby? Yeah, go fuck off. <laughs> hey, you aren't allowed to say that on this show. Yeah. Now, now, I'm, now I'm gonna have to beep it. You're gonna have to bleep yeah. it out, dude. <laughs> Just put explosives. <laughs> We're all academic here. Wait, no, I mean studious. We're all studious here. Academical. Oh, We're all academical and so, stuff. So, uh, Luke, what did you think of that? Man, I think he's uh, he's got the inside information on a lot of uh, conspiracy type deals, man. Like, he, he looks so in-depth into a lot of conspiracies. <laughs> and, like... <laughs> I think we're gonna need some fireworks for the TV or for the show. I'm sorry. I mean, but. seriously. Like, I mean, he knows the names. He can give you the names. He give you the names. He gives you the backstory all the way from the 60s and 70s, and he gets on the inside information about all the conspiracies. You know, yeah, and he's behind them. Yeah, apparently he's a member of the he's the member of the Illuminati. So right. Which I don't believe in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I don't believe in either. Especially after hearing all the reading all this stuff about the Scordian Society, I think it's just all a big. Uh, I think it's just all a big uh, hoax. Yeah, I mean, look at look at the artists that are capitalizing off of it. I mean, Alpha the right. Illuminati, uh, P Diddy, Magic Curtain, Snoop Lion. <laughs> well, who's the big one? Well, like, was it Jay Z? Is the big Jay-Z one? Jay Z and Kesha and Kanye. They're all jumping. Tupac. Up. Right. They're all jumping on that Illuminati. Illuminati train. Illuminati. And my my fourteen year old nephew is is Shots texting me like saying, "Hey shot. man, you know what's up with the Illuminati? Like, what is that? Is that real? You know, all yeah. you know, you know, paranoid and shit about it. And, oh, I'm sorry, stuff it's stuff right. about it. And, and I'm like, dude, no, it's just smoke and mirrors to." perpetuate and make profit off of it so yeah exactly but then it's like a double-edged sword or like it's like a vicious circle because then you got people picking up on it and saying that it's the illuminati and that uh, they are the like, illuminati but like, but like, like taylor swift she has nothing yeah to do with or it. well it's more or it's more like you know kind of like the the 
the Christian people out there that are like perpetuating and saying that it's the Illuminati's coming for your children and all that. She's a role model, right? That just goes like this is the this is like a vicious circle because then you have you'll have the other people on the other side saying, "Oh, we're going to just keep doing the Illuminati thing because that's what's shocking everybody." Yeah. Well, it'll run out eventually, and then they'll have to have. They might already have to find something else to shock the crowd so that they buy their stupid albums. Exactly. So nobody's buying albums. They're all torrenting albums, like myself, <laughs> pirating everything. Uh, uh, correction. Nobody's buying albums over the age of thirteen. <laughs> but Taylor Swift, she got it rocking. <laughs> oh, Taylor Swift's bad, dude. And she's right here from. No, I'm saying she's super smart, like oh. to the fact of. No, she's, she's not. Su- for she's in, like Pennsylvania. No, she's getting a lot. Yes, yeah, she's not from here. Oh, she, well, yeah, she, she lived, well, she here, lived yeah, here, yeah. yeah. She went to school here in Hendersonville, so... That's Why are we talking about Taylor Swift? Because she's hot. She's hot and stuff? I'd totally hook up with her. I mean, I... <laughs> I'm just going to go to your local um, junior high school and speak. <laughs> yeah. Listen, folks, Taylor Swift... Well, I've never actually been arrested for pedophilia, so I don't really uh, have yeah. anything to talk about at the assembly. Oh. But, yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. this is degenerated. <laughs> so, Sometimes you gotta get real, dude. Yeah. Well, I want to thank Adam Go Rightly for coming on. and uh, Thank you guys for uh, sleeping through everything. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> sleep. Dude, I was never. What are you talking about? I, was right away I, have, I have a picture to prove it. I so. was resting. <laughs> I was resting my eyes. I was resting my eyelids. <laughs> I've been working a lot. <laughs> Isn't that what your dad would say? I'm going to sleep. I'm resting my eyes. Dude, I saw a homeless dude get pissed off at McDonald's the other day for like he had a he had a soda like not, like not to get off the subject but on the subject. He, he had a soda and like he started like apparently the dude just rolled up to him, the manager was like you need to leave you know and he was you like y'all leave. been fucking with me all day. <laughs> Sorry, I just said that for you. But he was like out. he was like. He was seriously just like, I paid for whatever I got, and I ain't sleeping. Well, Y'all just lying, playing the race card. And I was just, it was appalled. There comes a point, like, you know, when I was in the, when I was homeless, and I was, like, hanging out in the the, uh, McDonald's. (laughs) When I was hanging out in the McDonald's to, like, stay warm during the winter when it was all cold and everything, like, I wouldn't sleep there. I'd still sleep in my car. But I was just hanging out there to be warm or whatever. Yeah. Not a lot of homeless people have cars, Luke. Well, I know that. I was kind of like a homeless. <laughs> like, like he really wasn't homeless because his home was the right. car, right? You so had a job was, and a car. Yeah, it's. I was so like, well, you, hey, but not, you were whoa, 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 not the entire time though. I didn't have a job the whole time. But anyway, uh, yeah. So I was just in the McDonald's hanging out from time to time, dude. And like, what point? Do you say, okay, you bought something, but now you got to get the hell out because now you're sleeping on one of our benches, like well, in front when of you the close TV. your eyes. <laughs> you <laughs> know. This dude was mad. It was uncomfortable to all get up. So wait a minute, was the guy white and he was saying they were oh, playing yeah. the race yeah, car? Yeah, long-haired, bald head. Just, so just... what, the manager was black? Yeah, he was yeah. That? All the people that were working there were black, and the manager was... He was extremely politically correct, like all is possible, and the dude was like, "You're racist." And he's like, "You're get, racist." I don't man. get Metro down here. Like I don't know. Like he had kind of an Indian. I want my nuggets. Don't make me assume my final form. Yeah. <laughs> so, he was obviously homeless. He was just trying to catch some air conditioning, but he had a bad attitude, and he made everybody feel awkward. Sure. 
But by the legal law, you know what I mean? How are you going to, like, get around that, you know? All right, yeah. watch Homeboy until he fucking closes I mean, his eyes. Damn it, I cussed What him. I was saying, like... Until the, he closes his eyes and then try to camera. The one in Donaldson had, like, three homeless people sleeping in it every night. <laughs> There's so much profanity in the show. I mean, you know, Go Rutley's already... We weren't even talking about Operation Mindfuck through the whole thing. So, you know, you know... Stop whatever saying you want fuck, to add, dude. you got to bleep it all out. <laughs> no, I'm not going to bleep it all out. Anyway... Try to get kicked. We'll get kicked off Fringe Radio Network. <laughs> Put my money back. Hey, what would you I want to know right now? what you think about this? What's going on in Ferguson, Missouri? I think. Uh, you really, you really you want any? me to stir everybody up? What the hell? What? What I what I think is that uh, I do think that the shots were excessive. I don't think that he needed to shoot. What's his name? Michael Brown. So many times. Whoa! Rewind. Somebody informed me Hold as on, to what was like about this that happened. No idea. That, I don't. I don't think I don't that the TV. officer should have shot him so many times. Maybe just like one shot or two shots. Shot him got, like ten times. What have got the like point that. across? Because yeah. the dude was unarmed and he he struck him. But you also have to realize that the cops are always on high tension there because it's a high crime rate area. And you know where Missouri it, in Ferguson, it's near it's uh, near uh, St. Louis. St. Louis. That's it. And um, you know that's how you're going to react. If you're a cop, you're going to if someone attacks you, you're going to draw your weapon. You're going to shoot to defend yourself. That's not how you're trained to do. Uh, yeah. No, <laughs> so you're not. Someone's coming at you viciously. You're going to shoot them. Well, you're not trained to shoot them ten times. Not ten times. To shoot them. It's a little excessive, but you have to understand, though, like the the kind of crime that you're constantly having to deal with. I mean, it's the same in North Nashville. You get jaded as a police officer because there's constantly someone toting a gun, selling crack or selling weed or something like that, dude. And you you have to babysit. Selling weed, that's so horrible. I mean, large large quantities. Of course, I don't disagree with that, but they have a gun on them too. And usually those people are going to be yeah. aggressive toward the cops, and they know that, and they have to deal with that so every day. So if, if they've given the policeman the right to shoot somebody, apparently, then what is what is hand-to-hand? Like, dude did not have a weapon. Right. right. But right. he doesn't. He, he also he doesn't know he that. He wasn't reaching. Yeah, well, I mean... So I like, but I like I was saying. But couldn't he? But but if he okay, if, could, first of all, couldn't you taser him? Yeah. Second of all, couldn't he have shot the kid? Third of all, couldn't mace him? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Okay. Just, Maybe, you yeah, know, if we want to escalate it, it was macing excessive. first, tasing second. Yeah. It was then definitely excessive. The but you have to also think like, how many times has someone been pulled over that's like really scared the cops, but they didn't shoot? And this time, like something actually, you know, bad. You take the percentages on when a cop's been shot dead at that point, or just scared. You know what I mean? Everybody's scared every day. You know what I mean? Right. But not everybody's placed with a weapon. And someone's having a bad so, day and the, the situation's really tense to begin with. So you like, kill someone? No, I mean, I'm not justifying it, but I mean, look what they <laughs> yeah, have. Yeah, you are. Look what they have to deal with day to day. I mean, that's what? all I'm saying. No, no, no. I, understand, I understand what Luke is saying. And definitely, they got to they got to deal with a whole bunch of stuff every day. Yeah, a whole bunch of like, like crimes, or whether this right. person's guilty, or they're, whether this they're person's like children. Innocent. They constantly have to be at baby the stuff. same time. They are law enforcement officers, and they are supposed to work within the framework of the law. Yeah, mm-hmm. shooting somebody ten times is not going to right. is not within the framework of the law. Also, 
this is not an isolated incident. This kind of thing has been going on where you got SWAT teams, you know, thinking they're at a drug lord's house and they kill some grandma and grandpa sitting there just enjoying their TV dinners, and they're dead. I mean, <laughs> this 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 kind of stuff has been going on constantly. Right, and um, uh, the so main I'll... key point of this is don't run at a police officer and don't well, break that the would law. Help. Well, yeah, they definitely don't. Run at, uh, another another officer. another big deal. Don't point a gun at a police officer. A, another big deal. Is that what happened? No, no, he didn't, he didn't have, have a gun. Okay, but but another big deal that's going on is that the uh, right the right police are trying to get rid of the media coming up yes. because and I can understand that too. I mean, everybody's got the right to know what's going on. But the thing is, is you'll have all of these media groups coming in here and um, trying to turn everybody against the police. So then this that's just going to further excite the crowd, and it's going to make the right crowd bigger and more for them to control. They were shooting tear gas at the crowd. Right. That's, that's what I saw. Which, which to me, right. com- and comparatively, like rather than just shooting them down, you know, but shooting rubber bullets and tear gas, stop being babies, you know. Shoot like, pellets. It, that hurt. That, of course it hurts. It's going to leave a mark, dude, and it's going to, you know, tear gas terrible for you. But that's a lot better comparatively than being shot down like you would get in a third world country for protesting. So I don't want to hear it. <laughs> or burnt or tanked. Yeah. Anyways. Well, I mean, we have, we have constitutional rights in this country. We also have constitutional rights to protest. Right. And if they're going to go in and just break up a peaceful protest, or if something happens where, like, what, what, what sparked it off with the tear gas? Apparently somebody threw a bottle at the cops. Right, if they're sitting there behind a wall and they've got like uh, you know vehicles and uh, armored vehicles and, and, shields, and, 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 and shields and everything, uh, oh somebody threw a bottle at guns. you. I'm sorry, <laughs> somebody threw. Oh, oh, but you got tear gas canisters. I mean, the response is a little worse than the actual incident. I'm sure that the cops in that town hate everybody in the town living there. <laughs> they hate all. Well, they the they probably. Well, that's one of the problems, right? It's like what. The, there's like 57 policemen in the town, and uh, three of them are black. And there's like it's like a 70 percent black community. And I'm not which was that. interesting. Like the 57 percent, or like the 57 policemen, uh, I think they were using like the actual like using like the highway patrol or somebody on the people in Ferguson, the protesters. This was on Wednesday. What were they but of protesting course, for? They were protesting the death of the kid. Yeah, because they're mad about them. Because they, they, they hid that the identity kid. of the officer who yes. shot him. They because they didn't want the, the, guy the crowd to be prosecuted. After him. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday, I'm watching it, and they're, they're, they were in a meeting at a church, and they declared, uh, they basically have declared, basically have declared martial law. Because now there's a curfew from like 12 o'clock at night to like 5 a.m., that should nobody, happen in all ghettos. Nobody can be on the street. This isn't a ghetto. It's a whole town. <laughs> it is ghetto. It's a ghetto. Ferguson is ghetto. It's ghetto, man. It's not a ghetto. Right. <laughs> right. So, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not like you're in inner city Detroit or something like <laughs> no, that. No, no. It's a rough area. area. Yeah, it's, it's a rough place. It's not necessarily considered a ghetto. Mm. That, those, those two terms seem kind of similar to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what was the dude doing? Like, what was the whole okay, purpose behind what, what him suppo- getting shot? What supposedly had happened was, was he, the policeman, uh, saw the, him and another, and his friend walking on the side of the road. Supposedly there had been a robbery. 
um, at the t uh, at like some quickie mart or something down mm -hmm. the street. Guy had somebody had stolen cigars. Well, apparently the policeman didn't know that. He just stopped these two kids because they were walking on the side of the road. Stopped them, and apparently, I think what had happened was there had been a here had been a struggle or something, or like the kid lunged at him, and so he shot he shot the kid, and he shot him ten times. What about the other kid? Yeah, the other kid is still alive and saw. From, from what I hear, he punched the officer in the face mm. before he threw his weapon and shot him. Well, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, there you go. That's, there's, a, you're already, yeah, but, you're already cornered as an officer. Because what I'm saying is, like, there's two of them, there's one of you. And if somebody already takes violent, like, repercussions towards you, then you have to take safety repercussions. I'm not saying what, shooting him ten sure, times. You're making sure he's dead after the, like, no, the no, no, bullet? No, 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 hell no. Like no, I mean, yeah, like, but when yeah, people like get scared, but think you know, I mean, it's all human. But yeah, it's not right. But people get scared, they get cornered. But, but another know? thing is, is like, the moment. Another yeah. thing is that, is that we can't choose that. either. I mean, like me personally, I can't really choose or defend either side because I mean, I do, I do right now. Like typically, I'll stick to the police side. But the thing is, is that the lines are blurred because the media is lying to everybody or doesn't have a clear yeah. story of really what's going on. Sounds like emotions were involved on both sides. Yeah, exactly. There was also, there were also um, looting that went on, I think, on like Monday or Tuesday. I think the, sh the kid was shot on Saturday of last week, Saturday or Sunday. And there, were, there was looting that went on like right after that. And then there were peaceful That's protests. That's excuse. Yeah. Yeah. Why is the looting burned down, necessary? Yeah, burn, burn, burn down the quick. How is that helping time, anybody? You know? Like they said that they burned down like a quick trip or something like that. Quick yeah. stop. Quick stop. <laughs> anyway, it's just an excuse to take take more. Right. Exactly. Well, I'm gonna call it. Uh, Bobby, I know you're ready to get out of here. Actually, it's your birthday, so we actually birthday. have reservations to take you out. Yeah, so. you're going oh, out, oh, dude. Yeah, uh -huh. Don't care if you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right, well, coming out. We'll be back in like three weeks. We're going to talk about Secret Space Program. Word. So that should be pretty interesting. <laughs> Let's talk about the night we all get trashed. Yeah, we can talk about On that. Adam's birthday. Uh -huh. On Adam's right. birthday. Right. <laughs> we want to deja vu. <laughs> There's a limo. It's <laughs> my friend, Savannah. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll be uh, back in a few weeks on Conspiranormal.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.